week three in our series uh, through the book of Romans, and we noted three things last week. In the opening few verses of chapter one, Paul is a servant of God. He is sent to relay the message of the gospel. It centers on Christ. It wasn't his own message. It was the word that God had given him and sent him to proclaim. We also saw how Paul began by expressing his love for the church, how he wanted to see them, how he valued face-to-face fellowship with them as a means of mutual encouragement, and that ultimately he wanted to encourage them through preaching, preaching the gospel in the church. Preaching the gospel is not just for unbelievers, it is for believers as well. We saw that in the first part of chapter 1. And then we also saw, verse 16 and 17, the thesis for the book of Romans, that the gospel is the revelation of the righteousness of God. Um, It's the righteousness from God that is received by faith, and it is the righteousness from God given so that we might live by faith. Right? That's what uh, chapter 1, verse 17. It is by faith and it is for faith, so that the righteous live by faith. Um, Today, we get to this famous section on the wrath of God. And we're just going to be breaking it down in three parts. We see the vertical aspect, so that would refer to man's sinfulness in relation to his uh, creator. Then we see the horizontal aspect, how that sin and idolatry against his creator has led to the fracturing of relationships horizontally or his man's sin against one another and then we get kind of the the summary in verse 32 the conclusion of 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 what that means as paul seeks to indict um, ultimately all people all men everyone uh, under their sinful unrighteousness so With that, um, I do want to notice as we jump in, I want to notice the the transition in Paul's argument. So we're picking up on verse 18 today. We looked at 1 through 17 already. We're going to be looking at verse 18 through the end of the chapter. But, But notice the transition here. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. And then in verse 18, the very next verse, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. See the similarities there? The righteousness of God is revealed, 16 and 17. 18, the wrath of God is revealed. Um, what can we deduce from this? If I were to ask you, what does this what does this mean? What would you say? What is Paul saying? All right. Um, well, first of all, it's an explanation of why the righteous must live by faith. Right? He ended 17, and then he began verse 18 with the word for, therefore. So he ended by saying the righteous must live by faith, therefore, for the wrath of God, for this reason, the wrath of God is revealed. So 
he's going to explain why the righteous must live by faith. Why we need a righteousness from God as a gift. I mean, think about this. This, this whole section concludes in chapter 3, verse 9, where Paul finally just says, look, there's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. And that's going to lead to a transition in, in, in chapter 3, verse 21, where he says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested, apart from the law, the righteousness of as he's going to explain, received by faith because of Christ. So he's explaining why the righteous must live by faith. Because the wrath of God is being revealed. Because you are going to fall under my condemnation, God's condemnation. Another thing I guess we can conclude from this is that the gospel includes, and even begins with, the bad news. Right? The gospel isn't just about how God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. The gospel is not simply how we find peace and fulfillment and purpose in life. The fundamental problem, the most foundational problem that the gospel addresses is the wrath of God against sin. That's the grand problem. That's the huge issue. That's the, that, that, that is uh, the main horrific reality that the gospel addresses. That's why the gospel is the power of God, goes on, but for the wrath of God is being revealed. This is how, this is good news. You've got to start with the bad news first. A third thing we conclude from that is, and we're going to say more about this, but the end times and the final judgment has begun right now. Why would we say that? Cody, I'm disappointed in you. You didn't, you didn't catch on this, you know? Um, being revealed. This is eschatological language. Um, not will be revealed, but the wrath of God is revealed. But typically, when we think of the wrath of God, we think of final judgment. We think of that last day when God, God's finally going to pour out His wrath. He's going to finally judge everyone. He's going to judge everyone, right, for their sin, for their deeds. But, but Paul is saying, look, the judgment's begun right now. That's not just a future thing. God's end-time final judgment has begun right now. It is in process right now. And if we, you know, if we want to balance this with, with, with the other side of the equation, uh, the, in verse 5, the, the gospel, uh, Romans began while, uh, when, when Paul says that Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. Um, and then chapter 4, he picks back up on that. He was raised for our justification. And then in chapter 6, he says, uh, we too have been raised with him to walk in newness of life, never to die again. His point there is that the resurrection has already begun. It's not just a future, time, future thing. So uh, I want you to see with this being, uh, the wrath of God is revealed the initial stages of the final judgment have already begun. It's been breaking into this human, uh, into human history, just as the resurrection has already begun as well. 
John chapter 5 is the place to go for that, to see where Jesus says, look, the hour is here when the dead will hear the voice of, of, of God, of Christ, and, and will, will be raised. Uh, it's begun spiritually. With, with your spirit, with your soul being resurrected and raised with Christ, that the, the first part of the resurrection has already begun. Your body is to follow later. So, how does this happen? Verse 16. The gospel is the power of God into salvation. Proclamation of the gospel is God's power in the world which divides. It brings judgment upon unbelievers. It brings resurrection upon those chosen in Christ. And so that's what Paul in this contrast is showing here. That the power of the gospel brings these things um, about, which is, of course, a um, very serious matter. Very sobering reality as well. It talks about that in other places. It talks about it in 2 Corinthians, probably most specifically, that we are an aroma of death to death and life to life. He's saying when we preach the gospel, we're spreading death. Just as we're spreading life. Because those who hear the gospel and reject it are being judged by God and confirmed in their hardness. As I often say, the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. Softens believers, it hardens unbelievers. All right, so that's just that's the context so that we can rightly look at the wrath of God and understand the big picture of what Paul is talking about when he goes into this long discourse that goes all the way into chapter 3 about human sinfulness. And he never, you know, he takes an hour, as it were, before he gets around to the good news again. So, uh, any questions before we dive into the three sections of the text? Comments? Anything? Anybody awake? Okay. Oscar? Do you think it's interesting that he starts the, the whole chapter out there by talking about, first off, that God's righteousness is the answer to So before he kind of goes into the wrath of God, he talks about the gospel. And also, it's really, it reminds me of Ephesians, where he talks, he begins, before he starts talking about how we're fallen and we're dead, he starts by talking about Why do you think he does that? Well, I think it's, I mean, first off, it's just encouraging. Yeah. Because he's writing to a church. He's writing to believers. Uh, you wouldn't start off talking to a, an unbeliever about election, saying, you've been chosen in Christ for the foundation of the world. <laughs> um, but, but to a congregation, those faithful in Christ, saints, as he says in both Ephesians and in Romans 1, 1 and 2, you're going to start by that encouraging word of the gospel. 
before going back and reminding them of what they've been saved out of so that they might continue to live in light of the gospel. But with, um, with unbelievers, if you look in the book of Acts, for example, when the apostles were evangelizing, they take a different approach. Um, typically with Gentiles, they start with sin. And with Jews, they typically start with Jesus is the fulfillment of the messianic promises. Um, so, that's good. Good observation. And of course, the big picture in this is Romans 1 focuses on sinfulness of man um, in the Gentile world. And Romans 2 focuses on Jews and their sinfulness. And then Romans 3 brings it all together. For there are none who are righteous. No, not one. All have fallen short. Um, so that, that is his um, breaking down of sin here. Well, let's move on. Um, so uh, Romans 18, 1, 18 through 23, could um, I ask for a volunteer to, uh, to read this section and to, uh, to read it loud so that everybody can hear it? Andrew? Thank you. So God's end time wrath is being revealed. And um, this raises um, three questions. What is God's wrath? Why is it being revealed? And how is it being revealed? That's what this section answers. Um, So if I were to ask you, um, what is God's wrath? How would you define it? What do you think of when you think of wrath? Ethan? Uh, uh, Punishment? Yep, that's good. Judgment? Anger? Yeah, R.C. Sproul has a very um, provocative illustration of this. I've I've heard him preach it. I've I've read it in his commentaries and his writings. But he likes to point out that the word wrath in Greek is orge. It is related to, it is from the same root of the word orgy. Um, And the only connection between God's wrath and orgy is unbridled passion. This is a fit of fury in a sense where you're consumed with passion. Now, God is impassable, so we have to understand that, of course, analogically. But we need to understand it in the sense of it's, it's not just rage, it's not just anger, it's, it's holy indignation. 
He is consumed with his own holiness. Because everything that is unholy is evil and destructive and harmful. And that's why it is against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. What is ungodliness? It's not godlikeness. Right? And what is unrighteousness? Righteousness is goodness. So it's un-goodness. Ungodlike goodness. So he, he, he's not just mad because, you know, his kids broke the household rules. These things... Ungodliness and unrighteousness are the opposite of his nature, opposite of his character, and is by default, by definition, destructive and harmful and wicked and corrupt. And this provokes God to intense anger. I would say, in one sense, godliness, ungodliness is, again, pointing to our Sin against God, while unrighteousness typically points to wickedness, uh, sin against how we behave towards one another. Um, but this all is because God is good. It is, it is because He is pure. It is because He is righteous. His wrath is the, um, the vindicor, uh, vindicory or um, punitive righteousness of God. It's one of his perfections in relation to things that destroy creation and things that are contrary to his nature. And ultimately, of course, we know it is divine judgment. That is what wrath is, divine judgment. So, um, why is it being revealed? Pretty clearly answered by the text here. It's being revealed because God has revealed Himself to all people, but the sinfulness of man has suppressed that revelation. Paul says here, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. So His wrath is revealed Because he has revealed himself, and man has suppressed that revelation of himself. It's important here we talk about general revelation versus special revelation. We talk about this a great deal, but to remind you of this, general revelation, the heavens declare the glory of God. Um, Paul just said himself here, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. There is a revelation from God. This is revelation, which means that God is revealing himself. God is revealing himself to all humanity through the things that are made. And that we can look at the things that are made and see clearly His invisible attributes, His power, His eternality, His righteousness, His goodness, His omniscience. We can see His divine nature, that He is God and there is no other. That He fills heaven and earth. Um, God has revealed Himself through the things that have been made. But special revelation refers to, of course, that which can only be revealed through Scripture or through God speaking in the Old Testament. 
So Paul is harping on general revelation here, just like we look at a painting and we know that there's a painter behind it. It's clear. We don't have to wonder whether these colors just magically came together. We can look at a painting and know that a a painter exists. We can look at creation and know that a creator exists. But that knowledge does not lead to a saving knowledge of salvation. It's a real knowledge. It's a real understanding of God. It's an intellectual awareness. It's a cognitive grasp of reality. But it does not reveal the gospel. When you think about this, you know this is contrary to, to atheism. Atheists do not believe in a God. They say there's no evidence for a God. The Word of God says otherwise. This is contrary to agnosticism, which is probably even worse. It's not just saying that God doesn't exist, but it's blaming God. If there is a God, He hasn't given us enough evidence. That's an indictment upon God. God God has revealed himself, and Paul is saying, this is why God can hold everyone accountable. This is why his wrath is being poured out, even upon those who do not have the Scriptures. Because they, they know the truth. Even if they've never heard of him, they know the truth. Um... Continue to answer the question. I got this. It's the best picture I could come up with that was just a proper for Sunday school. Um, but it's suppressing. Every time I hear of suppress the truth, I think of the game we would play as kids where you would take a, a ball, a beach ball or something in, in the pool, and you would try to hold it underwater. And you'd try to push it down as far, far as you can. The further you push it down, the more strength, and eventually it pops up, you know? Um, or, or think of a, a, of a giant spring that you're just you're pushing down, you're trying to um, suppress. Um, the, the, the image of suppress means that um, it takes intentional, active, purposeful force. It's not an accident. You know how often uh, sometimes we take painful or traumatic um, memories and and we suppress them we we kind of put them in a dark corner of our hearts um, of our minds we push them out of the way so we don't think about them and and hopefully forget them this is this is what man is doing in his sinfulness he's trying to take what he knows and get rid of it So this is a suppression that provokes God to holy fury. Actively, forcefully suppressing the knowledge of God. And what does this suppression lead to? For although they knew God in this suppression, suppressing the truth, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. So they knew Him, but they didn't praise Him. They didn't worship Him. They didn't even give thanks for Him for uh, giving us everything. Life. Provision. So they became futile in their thinking. Futile recalls uh, the garden where the labor of man and the curse is is to be futile. You're going to work the ground. It's not going to yield to you. You're not going to be able to accomplish 
the, the task that I set before you in creation, which was to build and extend the garden and conquer and take dominion over the earth. It became futile in their thinking. Their thinking became wasteful. And their foolish hearts were darkened. And they claimed still to be wise, but they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. In a word, suppression leads to idolatry. Every time. Every time. Suppression leads to idolatry. You see, we we were created as worshipful beings. We were created to acknowledge higher powers, as it were. Uh, And so when we refuse to acknowledge God and worship God or give thanks to God, um, that doesn't mean we stop worshiping. We simply change the object of our worship. Something demands and calls for our ultimate allegiance. Something drives us. Something, someone shapes our hopes, our dreams, our longings, our fears. And and typically, at least in American culture, um, uh, idolatry tends to be good things that we turn into ultimate things. We worship people we love. We worship careers that we love. We worship entertainment, food, drink, drugs, things that God has given us that um, are proper in their are, are properly used in their pro- enjoyed properly enjoyed in their proper place, but we turn them into little gods. What Paul is saying is, you don't stop worshiping. You just man of sinfulness has changed the object of his worship from the one true and living God to things of this creation. And what this has turned, this is the best picture I could come up with. Um, I just Googled creation upside down. <laughs> there you go. It has reversed the, the, the order of creation. In, instead of worshiping God, humanity has turned to worshiping creatures. I mean, the same language um, in Genesis 1, uh, God created the cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth. And, and you know, Paul says here, we've exchanged these, uh, the glory of the immortal God for images res- resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. He's recalling creation here. God created the animals and then the, the capstone of creation was, this, was, was mankind made in the image of God and signifying the, the lofty place that man holds and, and that, that the man was created as higher than the animals and to worship God alone. And, and what's so tragic and what's so pathetic is that man has spurned his lofty status and has turned to worship things that are lower than him. This reverses creation. Twists it. Turns it upside down. You know, we think about... <laughs> I, saw, I saw just last night on Twitter a Methodist minister 
posts a long thread about how Christians are not to evangelize people who worship other gods in other religions. Um, and I won't go into the reason she, she gave for that, which was, you know, horrific. But, but it recalled to mind, you know, Paul is saying here, just because you're religious doesn't mean that you're less guilty. It means you're more guilty. If you're worshiping the wrong God, it intensifies your guilt. Because God hasn't just said, okay, you need to be religious, you need to worship something, you need to, you, need, you know, you need, you, you need to you know, recognize some higher power. He calls men to worship Him and to worship Him properly. And so, by, refu- by worshiping something else, man's guilt is intensified. And this is the turning upside down of the created order. And so, the the kind of stark reality to this is where Paul says they became fools. We often think of a, a fool as someone who lacks emotional, uh, intellectual intelligence, right? Um, but the scripture speaks of a fool as someone who says, uh, Psalm 14:1, the fool has said in his, in his heart, there is no God. It's not a a lack of knowledge. It's not a lack of intellect. Ultimately, the essence of a fool is refusing to acknowledge the reality of God. And to live in such a way is ultimately they're living a lie. That's what living like a, a fool is. That's why the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Authentic wisdom acknowledges that, that there is one Lord and that we are His subjects and that He is Creator in heaven, of heaven and earth and gives us life and everything that we enjoy and that He is also a righteous Lord and, and that He will hold us to an account and there are consequences for evil coming from His hand. And so, they became fools. I do think it's noteworthy as well if you think about this. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Isn't it noteworthy? He doesn't say minds. Again, as if it's an intellectual problem. Atheism, unbelief, it's always a moral problem. Always. The, the, oh, there's not enough evidence for a God, or I can never worship a God like this, or I don't believe a God exists, or I don't, I don't believe that He's loving. That's, that's, that's just a sidetrack, ultimately. People reject God. People turn away from the faith as well, when we look at apostates, because of moral issues. They want to live how they want to live. They don't want any God, anybody, telling them not to do this or that. And so their foolish hearts were darkened. That's the revelation of God's wrath. That's the judgment coming in. God is the one who darkens their heart. That's what the text means. Their foolish hearts were darkened. As Paul is going to go on to say. It's a frightening reality of sin and idolatry. So, in this sense, we have seen... God's wrath, what it is, we've seen 
It's being revealed because man suppresses a revelation and knowledge of God instead of worshiping God, and they worship creatures. Man has worshiped creatures. Now the last question in this respect is, how is it being revealed? How is the wrath of God being revealed? Any questions or comments at this point? Kim? I'm just curious about on the foolish hearts being darkened. Are the hearts foolish because they were darkened, or were they already foolish and now they've become darkened? Both. Yeah, Jesus says it many times in the Gospels to, to him. I'm lacking the words at the moment. He talks about how to those who've been given, more will be given. But to those who do not have, even what they have will be taken away. Yes, it's darkening, dark, darkness, God giving more darkness. Foolishness, God giving more foolishness. How's it being revealed? Their foolish hearts were darkened. Oh, I just said this. Sorry. I was ahead of my slides here. Talked about this. God is the one who darkens it. But verse 24 and 31 illustrate what this darkness looks like. Since we're... We only got 10 minutes. I'm going to read this. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts. Again, starts with a therefore. So, this is how the darkening and the judgment is being seen. God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the discerning of their bodies amongst themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Men likewise gave up natural relations for women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, there it is again, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. How God's wrath is being revealed. God responds to idolatry by giving us what we really want. He pulls back and he stops restraining sin. That's that's God's wrath. And that, in fact, that leads to the horizontal aspect because when he pulls back, when he darkens, then that opens the door for a mistreatment of one another. The wrath of God is giving us what we want, sadly. There's a famous, uh, <laughs> famous to me, famous Garth Brooks song. Um, I love Garth Brooks. Uh, I'll have to edit that out of the audio here. But um, uh, unanswered prayers. And um, I would not recommend it theologically. It's not the most sound song theologically speaking. But he, but he says, you know, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. 
So he looks back on his life. He looks at how, what he used to pray for and what he has now. And there is a level of truth to that. Oftentimes we want things that destroy us. And God, in His grace, keeps us from getting them. Just think, if, if you had no inhibitions, if you had nothing to stop you from getting what you really wanted, everyone who crossed you, you could snap your fingers and they would, they would disappear. You know, um, you could just hire a hitman or whatever. If you could buy anything that you wanted, if you, you know, anything that... God giving us what we want is judgment. Which, you know, if we understand that as a Christian, it'll help us deal when God withholds things from us. When we go through times of lack and need and and difficulty. Um, God is restraining our sin, in part, by not giving us what we want. By not making us comfortable. And that's grace. So, God's judgment is giving man what, the, what he wants and pulling back, abandoning him, and letting his wicked heart take him as far as he wants to go. And again, this leads to creation turned upside down. Paul illustrates this with homosexuality. <clears throat> Dishonoring their bodies. Think about that. Homosexuality is a dishonoring of the creation of man made in the image of God. And then he talks about a debased mind that leads to all of these other sins of against one another. I do want to take just a moment. I really got to hurry. I take just a moment here, though, um, and talk about homosexuality because you know it's increasingly controversial in our day. Um, I mean, real, real quickly, we can see it's crystal clear. I'm not going to go into this, but Paul's appealing to both the Old Testament and the New Testament. He's calling homosexuality uncleanness. And he's invoking the image of the judgment of God that fell on Sodom and Gomorrah, ultimately. We live in a day with you know, gay rights. We live in a day where the church, at least the, the professing church, is, is becoming more and more tolerable of homosexuality. Um, but, but I would argue that, you know... Um, Paul really says this is a supreme act of of human indignity. It is is the epitome of the twistedness of creation. He says so because he calls it unnatural and it's dishonoring our bodies. It, It turns creation upside down and leads to that loss of human dignity. And he also ties it in as idolatrous as well. It is a form of idolatry. And you say, well, well, how is that? Well, perhaps you're familiar with, with narcissists. He's a Greek mythology. He fell in love with his own image. Um, in fact, I think the, the, the mythology goes that he looked down at, into a well and saw his image, and he loved his image so much that he fell into the well and died. Um, well, that's what homosexuality is. You love Someone who's just like you. That's the appeal of it. You love yourself. And that is the opposite of what we were created for. It's the opposite of God-likeness, who, who loves... There's mutual love within the, the three persons of the Trinity, and, and, and love led Him to... Create the world and extend love to us as well. And so this is sinful humanity smitten 
with its own image, and the picture is Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah is that, um, it's that Old Testament example, just like the flood, that is to teach us, to give us a little picture of what the final judgment is going to be like. Is to reveal to us what that last day will bring. And this again, it brings back home to inaugurated eschatology that the end times have begun right now. That the wrath of God is not just going to be revealed, but it is being revealed. Giving, giving man over to, to the, such passions is the wrath of God. And it's just simply going to bring more wrath as well. Um, finally, we'll conclude. We'll take some questions in just a minute. But, but, but in conclusion, um, he gives them up to a debased mind. Um, behavior and action follow thought because this debased, debased mind leads to the rest of the sin that Paul mentions there. The point is, it's all-encompassing. It touches every aspect of our heart and lives. And all of these sins in some way, shape, some are worse than others, but all of these sins in some shape or fashion represent the judgment of God upon humanity. On sinful humanity, that is. Finally then, the conclusion. Paul says, though they know God's righteousness, righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. This brings it home in the respect of sinfulness of man is not just doing bad things, but it's also manifested in approving of bad things. Charles Hodge says here, to take pleasure in those who do good makes us better. To delight in those who do evil is the surest way to become even more degraded than they are themselves. I think it's fair to say that it shows a greater depravity to encourage other people in their sin than it even is to commit the sin yourself. which in light of our culture and its acceptance of homosexuality and some of the things listed in this passage here, it's frightening. Particularly because nowadays it's often seen as an act of virtue. You're being honest with yourself. It takes bravery to come out and be who you really are. That is verse 32, epitomized. So, conclusion, and, and, and we'll, we'll take questions. Until we understand the wrath of God and our own sinful depravity, we won't understand our dire need for the righteousness that comes from God. We won't grasp the righteousness that we need from Him to live by faith, that we can't please God by merit, that we can't please God by doing good things, that we can't please God in and of ourselves because of this depravity. And ultimately, we won't really get excited about grace 
if we don't understand the depths from which God lifts us up. So, I can't believe I got through that, but that's, that's great. Um, questions, comments in closing?